Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. Let's turn our Bibles to Chronicles this evening. Hallelujah. I feel so refreshed. How about you guys? We could just keep going and going and going here, couldn't we? Pastor John asked me to think about coming back in June. We'll have to see. (laughs) Then do some soul winning with that, but... I'll have to stay tuned. We've got a lot of stuff happening at home right now. First Corinthians chapter, I mean, First Chronicles chapter 17. I want to talk about discernment tonight. I want to get your discernment back online, operating at full megawatts. But discernment, it's something that's been kind of heavy in my heart the last few days. Being back in Canada, and uh, the Lord's been speaking to me about discernment and the need for discernment and how we can ramp our discernment up. And you're responsible, did you know that? Yes. To discern the times. Jesus said you can discern, you know, the clouds and the sunshine, and when it's red in the morning or red in the evening. And you know how to prepare for a storm or it's going to be a nice day. Why can't you discern the times? Solomon asked for discernment. And we see one of the biggest, I mean, the biggest deceptions happen in the middle of the glory of God. 1 Chronicles chapter 17. It says in verse 1, It came about when David dwelt in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I am dwelling in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. Now, if you remember what happened in chapter 16, is that David came back, they had captured the ark from the Philistines. David was frolicking, misachecking, hallelujah, twirling, dancing, laughing like a child, frolicking in front of the ark of the Lord, hallelujah, and he was rejoicing. It was a moment of great ecstasy and victory, Hallelujah. The ark of God had come back to the camp. And in the midst of that celebration, in the midst of that great victory, in the midst of the presence of God, in the midst of all the people dancing, okay, Nathan says to David, do all that's in your heart, God is with you. Now, is Nathan a good prophet? He's a good prophet. But the problem is, is that when a good prophet comes under the kingship monarchy system, their discernment goes off. David was never meant to be a king. We don't have time to go through all these scriptures because Samuel, the last judge, okay, 
wept before God because the people no longer wanted Samuel to judge them. They wanted a king to fight for them. They wanted to be like the nations. And God says, they've not rejected you, Samuel. They rejected me. And we have to understand here in the West the absolute hatred God has for the kingship monarchy system. Because it says in Hosea, I came to hate you at Gilgal. God's talking to Israel. Look at this. I came to hate you at Gilgal. What happened at Gilgal? That's where they anointed Saul to be king. Saul in Hebrew, you should write this down, is Shaul. You may have to use it in the future. Shaul in Hebrew. It means to ask for something. Shaul, they asked, was that, and they got exactly what they asked for. A big, tall, handsome warrior with a prophetic anointing from the tribe of Benjamin that later became a serial killer. Shaul, S-H. Come on, don't get, don't get tied up by the transliteration. S-H-A-U-L, okay? Shaul. If you're going to Israel to visit us, it blesses Israelis when you try to speak Hebrew. Hallelujah. Not many people on planet Earth speak Hebrew. All of heaven speaks Hebrew, but <laughs> not, a whole lot about a, not a whole lot of homo sapiens yet speak Hebrew. Anyway, Shaul, Saul, they got exactly what they asked for. And this is what we have to be careful of. People that are God's people always ask for the wrong thing. They ask amiss. It's the remnant. It's those who want to please God that really ask for what God wants. And the people no longer wanted Samuel to judge them. Why? Because when Samuel, Shmuel, okay, in Hebrew, Shmuel, when he came, he came out on a circuit. He would come to Mitzpah, Gibeon, okay? He would come to this Benjamite Plateau area. And the leaders, the elders of the city would come out to Samuel as he would come on this yearly circuit and say, have you come for good or evil? They were scared of accepting him into the city because they thought he was coming to bring judgment and correction. And Samuel had a sharp eye. Come on, hallelujah. Samuel knew the word of the Lord. Samuel... Oh, come on, folks. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Do you want God's pattern or do you want our pattern and ask God to bless it? Yeah. Folks, we need our discernment and operation. Come on. Amen. A lot of times, you know, we can blame discernment. Oh, well, you know, I sinned and I've been watching too much TV and I haven't been listening to God, whatever. But also you have to recognize who are you sitting under? What well are you drinking from? That will mess up your discernment. Also, those whom you associate, bad company corrupts good morals. Are you with me tonight? And this is, listen, I haven't been bowling since I was 12 years old. John took me bowling today. Hallelujah. My score for the first time, every time I bowled Canadian bowling was 119 points, okay? And I immediately told him... I said, I said, brother, you know Hebrew is you read from right to left. It's 9-11. Everywhere I go, I see 9-11. I see 9-1-1. I see emergency vehicles. I see warnings, okay? I can't get away from it. 
And so what I'm trying to tell you tonight is that without a doubt, God has called me here to help bless your faith. Hallelujah. To put you on Holy Ghost steroids. Amen. And to help your discernment and give you some scriptures and how easy it is to discern these times that we're in. Hallelujah. And we need to go all the way back to the beginning of when David missed it. Because if God is resurrecting, rebuilding the fallen tabernacle of David, then we need to find out when this tabernacle fell. And David's tabernacle fell when he no longer was a judge and became a king. Okay, let's go backwards now. So what we have is that Samuel was a judge. Okay? And when I use the word judge, it does not mean he went to law school. Okay? A judge in Hebrew is shoftim. It's the idea of a military deliverer or champion. We, gotta, you know, we need to put down here champions instead of judges. These are not legal people, okay? These are people that are charismatic, that have been anointed by God. It doesn't matter their pedigree or their genealogy or their gender. Hallelujah. And God's people cried out because the enemies of Israel were surrounding them and oppressing them. And they cried out and God anointed a man or woman. Hallelujah. And that man or woman became a military deliverer to drive back the enemies. The enemies in that prophetic office, they manifested the true word of the Lord. They weren't soothsayers. They weren't mystical people. They weren't people that were court prophets that would tickle your ears, okay, for a paycheck or for favor from the king. Are you with me? Come on. They would say it like it is. The people cried out in Egypt and God touched Moses and he went in as a judge, a deliverer. Hallelujah! So when there's people in Aurora and Newmarket that are crying out under a heavy load of debt, crying out of a heavy load of deception, crying out under a heavy load of whatever may be going on and the enemy attacking and wanting to drag people to hell, God looks for somebody who is hungry. He looks for a nobody. And he'll come and anoint that man or woman, hallelujah, and then they will sound the trumpet and the people of God will rally to that point. And the purpose of the anointing is to judge, to do conquering warfare, not to have an ingrown Holy Ghost party time all the time. Okay? And that's the pattern God chose. Let's look at this now. Come on. In verse 6, but let's just read chapter 17, verse 1 again. Are you all following with me? I'm trying to keep this, I'm trying to compress this zip file here. Hallelujah. And it came about when David dwelt in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I'm dwelling in the house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, God is with you. Nathan's supposed to be a good prophet, by the way. How did he miss it? It's very simple. He did what the king said instead of rebuking the king. The next time he didn't miss it about Bathsheba and confronted David about sin. Come on. The purpose of the prophets, if you look in the Bible, there's not one prophet that worked in sync with the kingship system. They always confronted it. They always spoke against it. And it cost John the Baptist his head when he confronted Herod's kingship system. It caused other people to be sonnen too. Okay? Like Isaiah. It caused Micaiah, who took on Ahab, to go be put in prison and never eat again. Because Ahab never came back. Are you with me tonight? Hallelujah. 
And so how can we have these quote, quote, ministries that think they're apostolic, okay, and all they are is kings that have people under their thumb of control, hallelujah, and they only invite in prophetic ministries that will tickle people's ears so they can give a bigger offering and grow the tithing base of that church. You see the conflict we're in, brothers and sisters. God is wanting to bring a pure word to set his people free, hallelujah. Yet there is leaders out there that we call leaders are really not, are, are people maybe out of place. Maybe they're an, a revivalist and not an apostle. Maybe they're just a teacher instead of a pastor. Come on. How many pastors should be evangelists? How many evangelists should be pastors? You know? And the people are messed up. And what's happened is that the sheep of God are being tossed by every wind of cunning doctrine going through right now. And it's our job to help to turn up your discernment. I'm not here to beat pastors and ministers. I'm trying to tell you, you better have discernment in this hour. And your discernment, you know, I can save you 40 days of fasting and prayer, okay? You can just read your Bible and get discernment, okay? Listen, you can fast and pray until you're so skinny you dance in the shower to get wet in the morning. So it says here, Nathan missed it big time. Why? Because he was in line with what David was in, and God never wanted a king. Can you get, get through your head? Everybody talks about King David, you know, and King this and King that. Nobody in the Bible is supposed to be a king except Jesus. Come on. Come on, say Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. And what has happened? Because the King James Version of the Bible came out in 1611, the authorized King James Version. And everybody was under the kingship pattern. God bless the king or the queen, whatever. You know what I'm saying? That when they saw certain scriptures, they put it through their gray noodles, okay? Their brain tissue. And it came out wrong. Like Revelation 1.6, it says, He has made us kings and priests unto God. That's not true. That's a mistranslation. He's made us a kingdom of priests. There is no kings in the Bible. There's only one. You and I are called to be priests. We're not kings. And so there's a dominion theology that's gone out that we're supposed to conquer and buy up all the real estate and prepare for the return of Jesus and re-rule and reign as kings, you know. And you got the pastor and his wife, you know, the Pope, you know, and Mrs. Pope, and they got a special chair and a special glass of water and everybody bows down to them and kisses their ring. Come on, let's be true about that, okay? And it comes out of that Roman Catholic Church, okay, which comes out of that control system, okay. And you say, well, why? Are you criticizing uh, the system? Yes. Are you criticizing these men and women? Not really. I'm criticizing the people, but it's the people that want to put them up like that. So let's find out what's happening here. Whenever we do not want to go to war, we make our biggest mistake. Right now, half of America does not want to be in Iraq. And that's why I'm leaving America. <laughs> When people do not want to fight for freedom, come on. When people do not want to fight for liberty, when people don't want to fight the righteous fight, okay? I want nothing to do with them. I don't want to hang around a bunch of beach walruses watching ice hockey tonight. Sitting on their couch like a bunch of beach walruses. They want to lift a finger against Islam. 
You know those demons manifested in those police officers last night? You know why? Because people don't, oh, let's not offend the Muslims. Oh, let's not offend them anything. And that's why so many people in Canada hate President Bush. It's because he's offending the Muslims. He's stirring up that spirit. Come on. I want to hang out with people that stir up the devil. Hallelujah. I don't want to hang out with a bunch of devils. <laughs> so what I'm trying to get at, we've got to get back to the original pattern. And look what is said here in the Bible. In verse 3, it came about the same night that the word of the God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David, my servant. He didn't say King David. He said, David, my servant. Thus says the Lord, you shall not build a house for me to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but I've gone about from a tent to a tent and from one dwelling place to another. In all the places, you need to underline verse 6, okay? Verse 6 is a watershed scripture in the Bible. And God is unveiling these things in these days to help us. This is a watershed scripture in the Bible. It's also quoted in Samuel, okay, chapter 7. Anyway, in all the places, verse 6, where I have walked with all of Israel, have I spoken a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people? God commanded the judges, these military charismatic men and women, okay, to shepherd his people, and you don't see it anywhere else in the Bible that God commands anybody else to shepherd his people. The people in the New Testament that are commanded to be shepherds are on the pattern of the judges, not the monarchy system. Some of you are looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. You need to start doing homework, folks. Hallelujah. But I'm getting a little tired having to repeat myself a lot, hallelujah, the last three or four days when you should be able to find Malachi faster than me. Because I'm holding a microphone. you got two hands. i got one hand here, okay? If I can turn quickly and find an Old Testament passage, why can't you? And the reason you can is because you can find those TV dials, okay? You can find that. You better start learning the Bible. You're going to stand before heaven. He's going to say, did you read my book? Well, uh, memorize it. Devour it. Hallelujah. What takes time? When you don't have TV on, you got plenty of time, okay? Don't get mad at me. I'm trying to help you. Hallelujah. You're putting together your M16 wrong, about to go to war, and I tell you to take it back apart again. What's wrong with that? What's well, an M16, Brother Scott? <laughs> Nowhere else in the Bible does God authorize anybody to touch his sheep except the judges. And we can go through scripture after scripture after scripture in the prophets of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. God's talking about the false shepherds. God's talking about his shepherds that have scattered my sheep, okay? Who are these people? These judges. These are charismatic deliverers. Nobody else has been commanded to shepherd his people. So now shepherding is not necessarily being a shepherd and pouring oil into your womb and carrying you on the shoulder. <laughs> a shepherd is a warrior. 
is a military special forces. Hallelujah. I like to use the word the desert shepherd warrior. Hallelujah. These are men and women, glory to God, that were anointed by God for a purpose. Hallelujah. And it goes on here and says, Verse 7, now therefore, thus says you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of the armies of heaven, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be my leader over my people Israel. You say, oh, well, just go, let's all go to New Zealand and learn shepherding. No, it won't work if you want to be a minister. You need to go to the Israeli desert, and the way they shepherded in the Israeli deserts, and they knew the seasons and, and the times of the rains, and where there was a watering hole, where there wasn't a watering hole, where there was green pastures, in these caves, you know, the Desert Shepherd book that's back there on, in your, you know, it's on our website. You need to read that, folks. It's deep. It's wonderful. It's powerful. The, you need to understand that the entire biblical revelation came through the vistas and landscapes and terrain of the Israeli desert. A lot of books talk about shepherding. They talk about English shepherds or Ireland or New Zealand. Ah! You have to be in the Israeli desert in the Midbar and understand the seasons, the nomadic Bedouin movements, hallelujah, of the patriarchs, hallelujah. Give you an example, David, Psalms 23. Psalms 23 is not about going to heaven. The Lord is my shepherd. Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Thou art fear no evil. I rod and thy staff. Come on, folks, that's nothing to do about going to heaven. It's a, it's a picture of the desert shepherd warrior. That the Lord is our shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Where are the green pastures in the desert? Where the oases are? Where the watering, the bubbling brooks are? There's no other green. Everything else is brown. The only place there's green grass to feed the sheep is where the water is. And where's the waters? It's not on top of the mountains. It's not on the plateaus. It's down in the valleys. It's in the wadis, the, these, these river gorges, okay? These cut-out channels of the limestone ch uh, cliffs uh, uh, <coughs> of the Judean wilderness. This is where Jesus was tempted, okay? So you bring the sheep into there. They get full, okay? They get nourished. And then what, what happens next? It starts to get dark. And you've got to put the sheep into the gathering place, Okay? And then the desert shepherd warrior, he knows where the waters are. He knows where the green grass is, where the sheep is. They need it or they die. And then at night, yea, do I walk through the valley of shadow of death. What's the valley of shadow of death? The place where the oasis is becomes the valley of the shadow of death at night. Why is that? Because that's where the lions and the wolves feed at night. Is that the oasis? And sheep are not nocturnal animals. Lions and wolves are built jackals especially to hunt at night and so here's David at the watering hole doing his job taking care of his father's sheep come on getting into the water hole knowing how to navigate through the deserts knows exactly which spring is open what time of year depending on if it's drought or not are you with me tonight come on and then he puts him to sleep and then his job is not finished it's just started now he becomes a warrior he has to guard the sheep from the wolves and the lions the valley of the shadow of death. Your drinking hole becomes the valley of the shadow of death of your testing. And he's become an expert in night warfare. Hallelujah. And so it's time to take out Goliath, okay, the big meathead. David knows exactly how to do it. And all the mighty men were so were scared. They didn't know what to do. Because they got out of the shepherding lifestyle and got under the kingship pattern.
And when Saul couldn't fight, everybody else, it reverberated through everybody else. Nobody else had an anointing to fight. David was the only one. And David knew how to take out the lion and the bear. And who's this big Goliath? I'll take him out. By the way, what did I get? No more taxes? I get the daughter of the king? Okay, let's do it. All right. Huh? Are you with me tonight? Come on. I want to build my life on that shepherding pattern, okay? And not on the shepherding pattern of some New Zealand Yahoo, okay? We're not talking about a picture of Jesus and a little lamb. Oh, it's so sweet. We're not talking about an effeminate. We're talking about a desert shepherd warrior. We're talking about people that are rugged. Hallelujah. People that know how to navigate in the night hour. People that know how to fight. And it's out of that environment you're ready for apostolic leadership. It's out of that environment you, you run a church. It's out of that environment you can start other churches. And if you're not a desert shepherd warrior, but you have a business background, you better be careful because you're not building God's kingdom. You're building the kingdom that you build in the world. We got too many people getting around organizations and they get these letters, like, you know, getting coupons at the back of the cereal box, you know? You're an apostle now. You're an evangelist. You're a prophet. And it's not right, folks. Just because you have a bunch of churches with you doesn't mean you're an apostle. You should call yourself a bishop. Some people just have a business sense. They can start McDonald's all over the place. Even when there's a, enough McDonald's in the city, they can start another one. Just because you can franchise churches in the same way doesn't mean you're an apostle. There's four levels of apostle in the Bible. Number one, Jesus. There's nobody else in that level. Number two, there's the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Nobody else. Those guys are already in heaven, except one was the devil, okay? Three, the apostles. That's the category I'm talking about. That's Paul, Timothy, okay? Specialized callings. And then the fourth level of apostle is actually those who were sent forth or missionaries, Many times somebody is sent to a country or to a people's group and has a missionary anointing, even though they're not apostles. And so I'm talking about the third category of apostles. And just because you have churches doesn't mean you're an apostle. Just because you can start church to get people busy, have a coaching or a business background, does not mean you're an apostle. You have to move 2 Corinthians 12, 12 in great signs and wonders and all perseverance. Okay? I'm not talking about healing gifts and prophecies, okay, and all that stuff because that comes with the territory as a James chapter 5 as an elder. You're sick, call for the elders, get healed. You know, healing's not a big deal. Giving prophetic words is not a big deal. Going out winning souls is not a big deal. But people moving in supernatural signs and wonders to establish the kingdom of God, to break the works of darkness, those are the apostolic people in this hour. They're raising up. And most of them I know do not have big churches. Because Paul says, they all left me. Come on. Yes. Being an apostle, being in this office is not something you want and to go and get. We need to start calling people bishops instead of apostles. Because if somebody is not a military person, hallelujah, in the spirit, glory to God, and taking land, I'm telling you, I don't want to be in their unit. Yep. Hey, we got to, come on, we need some discernment right now, okay? If I'm going to battle with you guys, I want to make sure everybody's in the right position. 
And too long we've just been too nice about things and not said things, okay? And the more you read the Bible and the more you get unnumbed from TV and movies and all this stuff, you're going to start seeing a pattern of heaven through the scriptures that is for us to emulate in this hour if we're going to wage effective warfare and build his house, not our house. Amen. Hallelujah! Karaboshuku yes, maha. And so, anyway, make a long story short here. <laughs> you still want to hear this, the rest of this? I'm getting a totally different rev, heavy rev, <laughs> revelation, <laughs> on shepherding now, the last couple of years. Especially going to Israel and seeing the desert warriors. See, Jesus was a desert shepherd warrior. He went to the desert, was tested. He won. He came back as a shepherd to Galilee. The lost sheep of the house of Israel, healed the sick, raised the dead. And then he came as a warrior and took on the religious establishment. And that is the pattern for you and I. It's the only paradigm of New Testament ministry. I'm going to show you in the New Testament a little bit here in a moment, okay? Where Paul quotes the entire government of the New Testament is based on this pattern. Again, you need to go back and understand. The book of Judges is the same as the book of Joshua. It's a chapter, it's a writings of war. Again, verse 6, we see here that David was corrected by God via Nathan. Nathan missed it prophetically. God did not want a house built. He was content to move about in a mobile sanctuary. I want to say this to you guys also. I also, second thing I see when people, now apostles are not really apostles, more with their bishops or whatever, okay? And people that call themselves, you know, whatever, or not whatever, okay? And God wants to put people in the place they're supposed to be in, okay? Number one. Number two, what I'm seeing in this hour is that we're pouring way too much money into buildings, I know we need a facility to keep out of the storm, and that, but there's way too much money snazzing up buildings, okay? When the church was young, she never had a building. Humanity always wants to build something and lock God into it. God is outside the box. And even David wanted to build something. He had to be rebuked, okay? And as soon as his son uh, Solomon built something, he lost it all. And no king ever again re recovered themselves. Even Josiah and Hezekiah never fully recovered themselves. God wanted to make it all dust in the wind. And so I see the beauty of a tabernacle system where God wanted everything lightweight. Hallelujah. For the purpose of mobility. And it's very difficult for churches today to be mobile to what God wants, okay? It's because we pour way too much money into a building. Are you with me tonight? Yes. So let's keep these things highlighted in our minds so we won't repeat the mistakes of our ancestors, okay? God is mobile. Hallelujah. We're like the wind. Everybody born in the Spirit's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. We have to be windward creatures. To be spiritual. Paul says, I've come to speak to you as spiritual and said you were carnal. The word spiritual is pneumaticos. It means people of the wind. And what I'm trying to, uh, what I'm understanding, come on, is when you have a local church, okay, and the leadership structure of a local church, and folks, I've been all over this country and this continent, okay, 
It's run by a manager or somebody with a business background, okay, or somebody with a governmental anointing, okay, right away they have conflicts with the apostles and prophets that are being raised up in their midst. It's an anointing that controls. We need government anointings, but it does not call to run the church. And too much of the churches are being run by creative men and women, okay, that can do great stuff in the world too, that are gifted business-wise, creative-wise, okay? But we need more people that are anointed to... Uh, did I lose you tonight? So why do you have that look of gone with the wind or something? <laughs> Don't try to read into what I'm saying. I'm just trying. I'm not using anybody as an example here. I am trying to give you an overview without giving, writing a dissertation for the next 15 days, okay, of what's going on. But time is short. We need mobility because God is not rebuilding the Solomon's temple. He's re rebuilding the tabernacle of David. And he's not rebuilding the kingship model because he hates it. In Hosea chapter 8 and actually chapter 12, he says, I hate you. All your evil began at Gilgal. When you became a spiritual prostitute in my eyes, when you rejected my shepherds, my judges, my military heroes, and you instead were the king, all your evil began then, O Israel. You set up kings, but not by me. Set a trumpet to your mouth. The Lord is coming like an eagle to his house. can read Hosea 8 with your Oreo cookies tonight if you like. That's where I just quoted from. And I see, I'm not mad at anybody, but I feel this burning zeal for God's house to be built, not the house of man. I feel a zeal. And we have a lot of good people, a lot of people called, but people need to get it, it's like pushing a, a, you know, a square peg into a round hole. Things are just not happening right now. There's too much pressure on families financially. Too much pressure about ties. Too much pressure about all things. Where is the free for all? Where is everybody tonight anyway? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> what I'm trying to say to you, people are getting burned out on churchianity. And then we start having revival meetings and we start to break through and start to get hungry. People start to pray and God starts to visit and we start having extended meetings and some miracles start happening. But it never always plateaus. It never keeps going. Why? Because God is not going to pour new wine into an old wineskin. How many times, folks, I've been doing this over and over and over and over. For years I've been doing this. And God is telling me, I am building my house. And it's outside the camp of what you see today. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Hallelujah. And so what we need to do in this hour, brothers and sisters, is sharpen our discernment to find out where the Spirit's going. And I don't need to go to a prophetic conference, okay? I don't need to go. All I need to do is start reading the Bible again. All the answers are right here.
okay, let's be honest about it. I went to O. Roberts University. I was there and I watched them build this big white elephant called the City of Faith, 60 floors. Spent a half a billion dollars to build the thing. Where is it today? Sold to a secular company. Well, I thought Jesus appeared to Old Roberts and, and, and stood on top, you know, next to the building. And, and Y'all didn't know that stuff, did you? I, and I was telling John that out today. I said, we need to learn from these brothers' mistakes because God had a supernatural anointing on Old Roberts, okay? And told him to multiply his ministry through building a campus and don't compromise. And he began to do that. And then something happened in there where, you know, well, God's anointed me. Let's go ahead and build a hospital. Let's start a business. It'll bring more money into, into the kingdom of God. And I was there. And I watched this debt load. I watched this overhead. I watched this amount of money that had to be raised every day. I watched the tail wag the dog. And I watched good men and women, okay, get in prison to a mammon system, okay, that followed the money trail and they built a business and did not yield to the total move of God's spirit. Of course, God forgives and God can, you know, whatever, but time is short, folks. He's already retired now. He's 80-something years old. He's not going to be able to run back through this thing. And I see ministry today, they start all these churches, they do all these things, they get everybody busy, and they start having you pipe money into it, okay? And it's almost like, wait a minute. Is God really in this? Are we really praying through and asking God, is this, listen, David, he's king. He wrote over 70 of the Psalms. Think about this. A man for God's own heart. And he comes back, he's got the ark back. He's a brand new king. Rejoicing. And says, I'm going to build something. And even Nathan, the prophet around him, says, do it. God's with you. Am I confirming some things to you guys? Okay. So God came to Nathan and says, huh. First of all, when did I ever ask you to build me something? I'm content moving in the tabernacle. Second... <laughs> I commanded my people to be shepherded by the judges, not by the kings. And the moment David became a king, he no longer went to war. He stayed at home watching his plasma screen TV, so to speak. Okay? He looked out over his administrative balcony, okay, of his beautiful, beautiful house. Okay? And there was Bathsheba bathing at the Gihon Spring, which is the same river that fed the Garden of Eden. And he looked at it, and he saw her, and he wanted her, but that's what kings do. They lost control, and they conquer. And he finds out, okay, he sleeps with the woman, and the word intimacy is not even used. It's the same word used as two animals having sex together, okay? No intimacy. And then he finds out who is she married to, okay? Uriah. And Uriah is not even Jewish, okay? But he's one of David's mighty men. Okay, and he comes in and tells Uriah, hey, go home and be with your wife. And Uriah says, no way. The guys are out there living in tabernacle tents in the, in the, in the war. And I'm going to go home and be with my family? No way. And so he sleeps at the door of the king that night. Why? But that's what bond servants do. They put their ears on the door. They actually go through a ceremony of cutting your ear off and leaving it on the door underneath the, underneath the mezuzah. You heard me teach about that before, okay? And so he's there, what bond servants do, at the door waiting to serve his master. And David has him sent just horribly into the worst situation. He sent him into a battle zone and had 
the army pulled back, and they just didn't kill Uriah. They dismembered him. They tortured him, just like the Arabs terrorists do today. And then Nathan gets the word and comes in and rebukes David. And the Bible says that David never recovered from that moment on. His whole family turned against him. Are you with me? Come on. And guess what Uriah's name in Hebrew means? The glory of the Lord. What would cause David, a great psalmist and a shepherd, come on, who wouldn't even drink the water from the well of Bethlehem that his mighty men went to go capture for him, he poured it out to the Lord. How could he change into such a, a misfit, a derelict? You know why? The kingship system. It's cursed. It's the whole witchcraft system. And when you and I have been controlled, and I used to control people in my church in New York City, and God delivered me. Blah! Hallelujah! It came out a long time ago. When I got delivered from that kingship system, it's the seat of all witchcraft. Come on. God tells Samuel to send Saul into battle, right? And destroy all the Amalekites. Y'all remember that? First Samuel 15, okay? And he comes back and hears, what's this bleeding of sheep I hear? And Saul says, oh, uh, you know, we didn't destroy everything. We brought back some, you know, nice sheep and gifts and so we can sacrifice to the Lord your God. And Samuel says, insubordination is idolatry and rebellion is And what did Saul say? You're right, I've sinned. I did it because I feared the people. When you are not a judge, but moving in the kingship pattern, you'll always go by popularity polls. And when you go to battle, you'll always listen to the people instead of listen to the Lord. And it's the seat of all witchcraft and rebellion. And when David, who knew this, who was almost killed by Saul, by the javelin while he was leading worship. Come on, can you imagine leading worship and seeing the demons leaving Saul? And then David, when he, that whole system of Saul falls apart, falls into the kingship pattern. He becomes worse than Saul. If I walk into a deep freeze refrigerator, I'm going to turn blue and purple. I'm going to be changed by my environment. I cannot control it. If I walk into a kingship monarchy pattern, I'm going to start feeling witchcraft and control. I'm going to start feeling spiritual abuse. I'm going to start being subjected. I'm going to have a ceiling linen. I'm going to have a governing person over me that is quenching my move after God. Now, this is heavy-duty stuff, but you're heavy people. Go with me to the book of Judges now, chapter 2. Let me tell you who the apostles I'm looking for in this hour. It's those that are the scum of the earth. Paul says, I'm a father. You had many teachers, but few fathers. Follow my example, 1 Corinthians 4. I'm a scum of the earth. I'm latrine material. I'm a spectacle of all people. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it says here in Joshua, excuse me, in Judges, 
Judges chapter 2. Again, the word judge means what? Military deliverer. Champion. Does not mean somebody who's legal bound, okay? And so it says here <clears throat> in chapter 2 and verse 15, when the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken, sworn to them, so they were severely distressed. And the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. So we see here, this is the shepherd model that God instigated to help his people. God called people to serve him. When they did not serve him, but followed the bales, okay? He allowed them to be oppressed. And then when they cried out, God raised up a man or woman supernaturally to deliver them. Hallelujah. And the word here where it says deliver them, verse 16, is the same word in Hebrew, Yeshua, Jesus. Now, we see a powerful judge. Her name is Deborah, which means the word of the Lord. And she begins to after her song with Barak of a great warfare they won, read this with me, verse 3. Are you all with me, folks? Judges 5, 3. We're now going to move into the New Testament. We're going to take portions of what was quoted in the Song of Deborah and Psalm 68, and we're going to read it right into Ephesians and see that the entire government of the New Testament church is based on this warfare pattern and not anything else. Judges chapter 5 and verse 3. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord, I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when thou dost go out from Mount Seir, when thou dost march from the field of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens dripped, even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord, at Sinai, at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, you need to underline that because that's quoted somewhere else in the Bible in just a few moments. Okay? In verse 8 it says, new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. There is, there is warfare breaks out of the enemy against our gates of our families, our house, our churches, our lives, our nation, when new gods are chosen. That's why we have such a spiritual combat going on right now. Our nations have chosen new gods. Now it says in verse 12, awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O sons of Avninom. Now notice the word captives there. You need to underline that. We'll see this again. So this is the psalm of war. This is a song that explicitly talks about supernatural warfare. But in chapter 5 and verse 20, we see that the stars of heaven fought against Sisera. Hallelujah. And the stars here are actually the same word for angels. The angels of God came down and caused a flash flood. Hallelujah. Where the chariot wheels stuck in the valley of Armageddon. Okay? And the stars of heaven came to fight. That's what I like about this warfare. Hallelujah. Woo! It's supernatural. Now Psalm 68 quotes this same warfare. Go with me to Psalm 68. How y'all doing tonight? Yes. Psalm 68 verse 1, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. 
Does anybody know where this is quoted in the Old Testament? Numbers chapter 10. Okay, you should read it later. Numbers chapter 10 is the law of warfare. So really, Psalm 68 is a summation of all the major principles of warfare in the Old Testament put into one psalm. So they're singing this psalm. They're releasing praises as weapons as they sing all the battle themes of the Old Testament. Let God arise, let his enemies be splattered. Hallelujah. Where is this in the Bible? This is found in Numbers 10. That God told Moses, let's just read it. Come on, go to Numbers 10. I want you to see the beauty of Hebrew, Hebrew parallel poetry. Okay? That they sing these major themes, okay? Numbers chapter 10. And verse 33. So we're talking about the ark is moving. Because the cloud is moving. Why does God decide to get up and move to a different part of the desert? Because he wants to go to war. Not because he's tired of the scenery. <laughs> and we see here in verse 33 of chapter 10. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord three days journey with the ark of the covenant of the Lord journey in front of them for three days to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Then it came about when the ark set out that Moses would say, Rise up, O Lord! And let thy enemies be scattered. Let those who hate thee flee before thee. And when it came to rest, he said, Return thou, O Lord, to the myriads, the thousands of Israel. So we see the purpose of the cloud moved, and the reason the cloud is moving now in our lives, because God wants to go to war and scatter his enemies. Because there's people on earth that will never be saved, that are enemies of the cross, okay? And they hate God, and God wants to scatter them. We got to get out of this UN utopia thing. Everybody on earth is going to get saved and, you know, la, 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 whatever. Okay, there's people that will never be born again that are predestined just like Pharaoh. God hardens his heart and for God to show his glory, okay? And God wants to go to war against Islam right now. Thank you for your enthusiasm. God wants to go to war against Islam right now. Because I believe Islam is either the Antichrist spirit in manifestation or the prelude of the false prophet to the Antichrist system. Folks, we're getting very, very close, okay? Okay? And so God wants to go to war, and the Hebrew word, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, is the same Hebrew word used for us, okay, in, 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 in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Same word used in Ephesians 5. Arise, shine, O sleeper. So we're talking about military language here. It's the same word used of the resurrection of the dead in the last days. Of those in the dust will sleep, will suddenly awake. We're also talking about the same word used when Jesus raised a little girl from the dead. I say to you, damsel, telekumi, rise up. So when God rises up, hallelujah, he wants to scatter his enemies. And the number one enemy is the fear of death. Terrorism. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. When he said before Lazarus' tomb, he didn't say come forth because the whole cemetery would have came forth. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. You say, how do you know there's a cemetery there? Because Lazarus is always buried with his kinfolk. He's gathered to his fathers. There's a whole bunch of kinfolk in there, okay? Dried up his dust or brittle bones. They're still there, okay? 
And he says, Lazarus, come forth. It wasn't yet his day to show himself. But we're about moving into a time where death and holocaust and destruction upon the Jewish people. And one day, if their rejection be resurrection, hallelujah, life for the world, what would the acceptance be? Romans 11, but life from the dead. We're talking about a massive resurrection power coming. Hallelujah. And this is why God is moving. And when the cloud came still, then they were supposed to do a Shabbat. Return, O Lord, to the myriads of thousands of Israel. And that spot where it came, the myriads and thousands of Israel, are the angels coming up and down the ladder. Okay? This is the Bethel. This is the house of God. The house of God is not just some place, okay? The house of God is where the angels come up and down. Intersect between the now and this linear time realm. Are you with me? Come on. And those angels move locations according to God's plan. And when God wants to move his tent, his tabernacle tent, okay, if he wants to dwell somewhere else and do some warfare, hallelujah, we're supposed to follow because that's where the all angelic activity is. But if you're tied to a building and you're tied to a dead system and a denomination or people that call themselves apostles or religious bishops or pastors or whatever, you're going to miss the angelic move of God for war. Because kings don't follow this stuff. Kings follow what they want to do. Kings are territorial. They fight with one another. Well, my pastor, my king has got anointing. I know Saul and all of them had anointings. Big deal. So did the donkey have an anointing. And the Bible says that God anointed Cyrus, okay? And God even anointed Nebuchadnezzar. So what's the anointing you're going to follow? I ain't following those guys. Am I getting help tonight? Okay, now let's go back to Psalm 68. Let's tie it all. I love, that's what I love about the Psalms because they'll tie together huge segments of history into small songs. Hallelujah. And when you start memorizing the Old Testament, especially when you see it and read it in Hebrew, you need to learn Hebrew. Hallelujah. You'll just go, man, you'll start blowing all the fuses in your life. Hallelujah. Because it's just like, yes, it's all coming together. And then when you see Paul or Peter or Jesus quote the same thing midrashically in the New Testament, you're like, oh, 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 control, alt, delete. Uh. It's so exciting. When Jesus breathes on you and opens up your mind and heart to understand all that the law and the prophets spoke about him. And I don't want to be dull of hearing like the people of the road are amazed and not understand what's happening. Psalm 68, verse 1, let God arise. Come on, hallelujah. God arise, let his enemies be scattered and splattered. And those people say, oh, let's be a blessing to Hollywood. Let's be nice to people in Hollywood. Let's people, God loves them. Come on, we have a grace heavy culture that needs to hear God is rising up to bring judgment. That's going to get people saved right away. Hallelujah. Let the, those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so dry them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. Well, brother, that's Old Testament. What, wait, 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 wait. That's not Old Testament. This is Bible. This is still New Testament. But this is, I, there's parts of the New Testament quoted in the same chapter. Don't fall for that trick of the enemy. Okay? 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What God got all happy in the Garden of Eden, and then he got mad at mankind all the way up to Malachi, because he forgot his medication, and then somewhere in John he starts getting nice again. Okay, and then he forgot his medication and gets mad again in Revelation. Okay, yeah, right. It's called dispensationalism, and it's from the pit of hell. God doesn't dispense himself in different areas at different times, okay? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And dispensationalism is the seat of the Antichrist system, the humanism system that wants to put the Jews in Israel being killed and slaughtered while we go to heaven and have a marriage supper of the Lamb. It thrives in replacement theology. It thrives in prophecy charts. When Jesus told us, you're not known of the times and seasons of the Father's fixed by his own authority. Be martyrs. Get my power to go be a martyr. <laughs> Witness. I want to learn about the cross. I want to learn how to go through Gethsemane. Hallelujah. I want to learn warfare. I want to learn glory to God, the smell of napalm of God doing something new. I don't need to know all the apocalyptic literature because it's up to God. It speaks in riddle form. Hallelujah. Verse 4, sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, exult before him. Okay, the first thing that happens, come on, stay with me now, you can write this down, buy the tape, whatever. You guys are smart, you can remember this. The first thing that happens when God arises is new songs of worship start kicking out. Okay, the original Hebrew in verse 4 is cast up a highway for God. So, it's a highway. God wants to come in on the highway of our praises. Okay? What kind of highway is it? Oh, he's such a loving God. Oh, he's such a loving God. Me and Daddy. Okay, well, if you want to get off on that, that's fine, but do it by yourself, okay? When we're coming together for war, we're singing military songs for God to scatter the enemies. And how we know this, okay, S lift up a song, a highway for him, okay? This is the same thing that happened in the wilderness of Tekoa when the armies came out against Jehoshaphat. And he sent the praisers ahead, singing, The Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. And they started destroying one another. Remember that? Yeah. And Tekoa, that's the beginning of the wilderness area. Hallelujah, where Amos came from. Ha! Tuku, mata! So there's supposed to be these prophetic warfare songs starting to kick in, okay? That doesn't talk just about, you know, the rain and the elements and I love him, he loves me, and how much he does for me. It starts talking about his majesty. It starts revealing his name. It starts, we start lifting him up, not what he does for us. Because he reveals himself through his name. Now, the next thing goes in, verse 5, a father of the fatherless, a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God starts looking for the orphans and the widows. This is true religion, James 1 says, okay? Orphans and widows. Always remember the orphans and widows. Now, verse 7 is the same quotation from Judges we just read. O God, thou dost go forth before thy people, thou dost march through the wilderness. The earth quaked, the heavens dropped rain at the presence of God. Hallelujah! 
That's Judges 5 and verse 4. Okay? Now in verse 11, we see something that's directly related to the song of Deborah. The Lord gives the command, the women who proclaim the good news are a great army. King James says the Lord gave the word, great is a company that published it. The word company in Hebrew is nikivah, which means female army messengers. So when God starts to lift up himself to go to war, the first thing that happens is his prophetic songs come in. We can ride in. That's his highway. That's his 400. Hallelujah. Coming in on, okay? And the first people that get activated in this movement, hallelujah, as the rains are falling and God's appearing in holiness at Sinai are the Deborahs. And these Deborahs, hallelujah, are courageous. And God is raising them up usually because the men are too busy watching hockey or something else. Except me and John and a few others here. Hallelujah. Okay. They hear, and they become a great company, an army. And the word there in Hebrew, you've heard me say it before, twice before. Let's pull it all together. Is nikivah in Hebrew. It means female messengers. So there's two sides to God. God says, let's make man in our image. So he made male and female. He made Zachar, male, masculine. And he made Nikiva, female, feminine. So the feminine side of God in Hebrew is Ruach or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a woman. Don't get weird, okay? I'm just telling you that the masculine side of God is war, justice, accountability, character, okay? The female side of God is the Holy Spirit. So if all you do is hang out with the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues and don't meditate on the Word of God, the character, the justice of God, you become effeminate, okay? You become castrated spiritually. Give you an example. My wife, she's a Holy Ghost warrior. She's a sweetheart. Hallelujah. But sometimes when our kids do something, my wife says, do something about this, okay? So I pull out my belt, you know, and tell the kids, you know, you got a warning. And I'm getting ready to, you know, give them a little spanking, okay? Mainly the belt is deterrent to scare them, scare the sin out of them, okay? And I get ready to give them, and she goes, oh, please, just give them a very hard. I said, wait a minute, five minutes ago you're telling me to get them. And that, don't get mad at me, that's why there's so many women raising up because there's so many men not going to war that we're developing now a very effeminate message of God is good. Let's love everybody. Let's just pray, you know. But when you say judgment or Scott Holtz or something else, no, I'm kidding. Ah, he's Old Testament. Ah. <laughs> See? But I'm not trashing the woman. I'm just saying that when God moves, the first people to hear that God's looking to be new is the women, and they're a great army. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. You better shout, women, because Muslims don't believe this. But women, you, you can't run ahead, okay? Because you've got to wait for the men to come up. Because the men operate the government system, okay? The men are, yeah, come on. In Israel, they use the women for intelligence and interrogation. <laughs> they use the men for combat. 
I think the Canadian and American military needs to learn from the Israeli army. Amen? The women have a, at times had a sense they can read people quicker than the men can, okay? Okay? Some Yahoo walks into the back of a service, my wife says, something's creepy about him. Really, how do you know? Deal with it. <laughs> so we go deal with it, amen? And we need, come on, men, our wives are, are, are in a good way, don't get mad at me, are our watchdogs. Do you know what I mean? They know certain things because they are in the image of God, of the Holy Spirit. But women, that's, come on. All these ladies out there doing their own ministries and all this stuff. Come on, they, they just get, you're spinning your wheels because it's God's image is male and female. And so now we see the government of the entire New Testament church is about to be quoted here. Are you ready? And this is the same quotation about captives being rescued in the book of uh, Judges. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Let's go to verse 17. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. Now who are these chariots of God? These are those that are more be with us than be with them. Yes. When Elisha said, open up the eyes of my servant, you'll see roundabout chariots of fire. That's where I want to be. Yes. Amen. And where is it at? In holiness at Sinai. It's where the law is given and holiness is required. And when you have church services that don't want to talk about holiness and the law, you're not going to have the angelic ministries there. Come on, folks. We're swinging for the fence. Come on. Now, verse 18 is the entire New Testament structure. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captive thy captives, thou hast received gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord may dwell there. Does anybody know where this is quoted in the New Testament? Jesus, Ephesians 4, let's go. Now you're going to see, can you all connect dots? Yes. See a smiley face of Jesus? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have I won't just not read it yet. Let me just tell you where we're going. Now we see, number one, that the judges were the only people, the military leaders, okay, that were called and anointed by God to shepherd God's people, okay? We see the pattern of the judges. The, the people rejected the pattern what it saw. And the moment David, who was a judge, became a king, he lost it all, his tabernacle fell, the prophets were raised up to shake that system. You're not a prophetic ministry unless you're shaking churches and leaders right now that are acting like control freaks and kings, okay? And then we see Jesus coming up and he's saying he is the good shepherd. Okay, remember that? John 10, come on folks, John 10, I'm the good shepherd. And the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Who's he talking about? We always thought it was the devil. Yes, it is the devil, secondarily, but it's primarily who, are the, who, are, who has come to kill, steal, and destroy? It's the hirelings. And who are the hirelings that Jesus points out in John 10? It's those in charge of the temple complex. Your greatest thievery against your life and destruction will come from men and women who are in leadership not obeying God. And that's where Jesus' greatest conflict was. That's where your and I's greatest conflict is, okay? You say, well, they're good men. I know David was a good man. 
But when he became a king, you see what I'm talking about? Now, it says in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says actually chapter 3, Oh! This is deep. I like deep water. Hallelujah. Come on, look at Ephesians 1. Look at the two prayers Paul prays. Now, now, Ephesians was a circular letter. Isn't this fun tonight? Hallelujah. Ephesians was not an epistle written to the Ephesus. That was a later title added. Okay? The church at Ephesus was a later title. We know that this is a general epistle, meaning this letter was sent not just to Ephesus, but to all the churches. And he's, Paul prays in verse 17 of chapter 1, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What's their calling? To be judges. To be military conquerors and shepherds. Which are the riches of his glory and his heritage and his saints, and what is his passing greatness of his power to us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength of the might, when he brought about the Messiah, when he raised it from the dead. Same word used Arise, O Lord, your enemies be scattered. Paul wants us to understand the power that's available to us through the resurrection. Okay? Now, chapter 3, he begins to pray again. And verse 14, the reason I bow my knees before the Father, whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Aren't you, don't you want some more family in church? Yeah. You know, aren't you tired of people that just, just don't want to be family? They just want to, you know, just do their own thing? I like family. Come on, I like big dinners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. We had a big family. Hallelujah. My mom, she has four brothers and, and nine sisters. Hallelujah. And they had one bathroom in the house at that time. <laughs> you imagine how everybody get up ready for school with one bathroom? Five hair dryers going, curling irons, everything else. I like families. How about you? It goes on and says, verse 70, that Messiah, verse 16, excuse me. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That Messiah may dwell on your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints with the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth and to know the love of Messiah which surpasses knowledge that you be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly of all we could ask or think according to the power that works in it, to him be the glory in the church. You never see kings in the Old Testament pattern ever doing great miracles. It was always the judges and the prophets. That's why when you, come on folks. When you have an apostolic leader who's not supposed to be apostolic, okay, not moving in signs and wonders and shaking things up, okay, they've always got to import other evangelists or healing ministries. Wow. Just be honest about it, okay? Yeah. 
If you can't keep up with the, the dog, the big dog, stay on the porch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now it goes on here and says that he is glorified by him doing things beyond we can all ask or think or dream or imagine. That's how Jesus gets glory in his church, by doing things beyond we can ever imagine or think, dream, or imagine. Okay? It keeps on going now. Come on. There's no chapter division. Thy therefore, verse 1, chapter 4, the prisoner of the Lord entreats you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. What are the callings in the Old Testament? We are called to be deliverers. So powerful. It's so simple. I see it through my Jewish mind. I just see it. It all makes sense. It's like somebody looking at a diesel engine. And that mechanic who's been working on it, that's a beauty. <laughs> see that there? See that there? And some of us look at it and say, I don't see what, how, how does that thing work? You've got to see the big picture. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, verse 8 is a quotation from Psalm 68 and Judges 5. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts unto men. That's the quotation there. Women, you're hearing that God's doing something new? Come on, new songs of worship coming forth? You've got to wait for this ascension, okay, where Jesus anoints men and women with special gifts to rescue the prisoners of war. Okay, and now Paul brings in verse 11, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. So we see here that the apostles and prophets, who are the primary leaders of the local church or a move of God, okay, are military conquerors. They do not rely on their business background or on the theological training. They rely on what they've learned in the streets. And I was talking to John about this today. He was asking me, well, how can, you, how can we activate people prophetically in our local church? And I said, very easy. You need to, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Go out and start witnessing, okay? And as you go out and start to witness, and as you go out to learn how to move in the Spirit and the Word of Knowledge outside this environment, okay, out there, and you start getting your discernment going and moving in the Spirit and testifying of Jesus, you are in the prophetic ministry. And usually when somebody says, I'm a prophet or whatever, I like to take them street witnessing with me. Then we really find out. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Then we really find out. Most of them go, oh, I don't feel led to go. That's your job. You're an evangelist. I says, you liar. Buck, 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 buck. All of us have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Well, that's not my anointing. What kind of anointing do you got? Are you with me? Come on. And so we see these fivefold ministry gifts are directly quoted from the book of war, Psalm 68, which is a quotation for judges. Am I making myself clean tonight? So, when you have leaders that act like kings and monarchs and not like soul winners and military judges, come on, hallelujah, then we start to run into the problem that the whole Old Testament ran into. There is a judge named Yotam in the Old Testament. You ever heard of Yotam, Judges 9? Jotham in English. Okay, and he gave a parable. 
Gideon's son wanted to take over and they wanted to name Avi Melech to be king. Now Avi Melech in Hebrew means my father's king. Okay? See the problem with the kingship pattern is when the senior dies, who usually takes over? Junior. And they never have the same anointing their father does. We can be honest. Come on. We can be honest about this. Go through church history. Look at when senior dies, junior takes over. Okay? And usually messes everything up because it's based on pedigree. It's based on genealogy with the kingship system. But on the judges system, it's based on the sovereignty of God. Just because somebody went to Bible school or their father was a preacher doesn't mean they're supposed to be a preacher. We look for where the anointing of God comes on a man or woman. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. And they are rising up and sending a battle cry. And people, we need to rally to where that anointing is on that person. And it's not because it's just anointing to preach. You know, Paul, your letters are pretty heavy, but when you're in personal appearance, you're kind of weak and shaking, and you just don't make it for TV, you know? But that's who we usually put up. We put golden tongue orators that look a certain way, them and their wife, okay, and say, lead us into battle. And they couldn't even punch their way through a wet paper bag. Somebody last night was here from Sarnia, and they told me, oh, yeah, you know this prophet so-and-so? Man, he's so powerful. I said, yeah, I know him. How do you know him? Oh, he came and preached at our church in New York City. He said, really? But I didn't tell him. They said, well, how's he doing? I, I don't want to talk anymore about it. But that person they brought up, he came to our congregation, and he was advertised as a prophet, and we needed a fiery prophet because we had hundreds of Orthodox Jews wanting to kill my wife and I, and we had New York City police officers with riot gear, come on, and barricades guarding our congregation. You had to grab your Bible and just run like a fullback through all the protesters to make it into the service. And so I said, if all these Jewish people come into church, hallelujah, we might as well preach to them. And so we got a big old monitor, okay? and put about 150 foot of cord on it and tied it to the top of the church building, hallelujah, and we piped the whole service in Russian and Hebrew and Yiddish at times to them, and they were foaming at the mouth, hallelujah. <laughs> Nothing like another day at the office, eh? Hallelujah. And, you know, we just... <laughs> hey, they're coming to church, going to hear about Jesus. And so Prophet Doodad, or whatever you want to call him, came, okay, and he got, and we, I, went, I, I didn't want to tell him what was going on. And when I brought him right there, and what was going on, he froze. He, uh, and I looked at him, I said, sir, are you okay? Come on, it's going to be okay, come on. We're taking the congregation. He went into trauma. Because people are good talkers. People know how to work a crowd, but when it comes to the testimony of Jesus out there, this other prophet came and he was advertised as a former, um, like, bouncer and murdered people as a gangster in this other country and drug runner and professional boxer, you know. And I brought him to the congregation and he got there. He was so scared. I says, what kind of gangster were you? I was like, hello, hi, how y'all doing? 
See, my wife and I, one reason we were leaving America was we're kind of bored. There's no riots going on. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> you got it. Come on, you got him inside of you. You're bold as a lion. Come on. People just want to make you keep on being a kitten. Come on, hallelujah. You're bold as a lion, you people. Oh! So, I rest my case in this area, because I know, and if you get some other tapes, and we preached on a little bit before about this stuff, but without a doubt, nobody can convince me that the kingship pattern is of God. If you look at Hebrews, keep your finger here. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. This is really powerful. The hall of fame of faith. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. These are all judges. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Come on, folks, please stay with me. Let's go. Come on. Is there any kings mentioned there? No. They got the judges and then skip over 400 years of monarchy history and go right to the prophets. There's not one king that makes it to the Hall of Fame of Faith in chapter 11. Why? God was never pleased in one of the system. See, what about David? This is before David became king. Because David was actually the last judge. Powerful, man. Just get the revelation. Hallelujah. Go back to Ephesians 4. Now we're talking about discernment. If you're called to be a Nathan or Nathiana or whatever... Natanya. <laughs> okay. And you are getting your prophetic gears going in a monarchy system, you're going to be frustrated. But if you do what is called, pardon my French, the brown nose treatment, where you so much want to submit to the papal authority. Your prophetic gifting will turn to be your greatest nightmare. Because what you'll prophesy is what the king wants to hear. Or the leader. And if you don't mix it with soul winning and evangelism on the streets, you'll no longer be the testimony of Jesus. You'll be a prophetic gift and operation that is becoming a false prophet or a court prophet. You'll never prophesy judgment Strong things, okay, because you're, you're led by the fear of man and the fear of money. If we study 1 Kings 22, don't turn to it. We see that Elijah killed how many prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Okay. Did you know there were still 300 more prophets left over for Ahab? Where did they come from? They were the court prophets that Micaiah had to take on. And how did God take him on? Micaiah came and prophesied to Ahab. And he saw a vision. Who will deceive Ahab and lead him into battle? They may be judged. 
But you always got to get Ahab before Jezebel's taken out. And a spirit came and said this, and the Lord says, go. He says, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. So when you have a Jezebel system with an Ahab ruler, the way God takes it out is by sending a lying spirit in the mouth of all the people that they think are prophets. And somebody asked me today, how, do, how can we take out a Jezebel system? I said, it's very serious. You've got you to destroy Jezebel's strength. How do you do that? And people come up with all this spiritual warfare stuff that's just mystical and it's weird. It's very biblical. Just read the Bible, okay? What did Jezebel bring into Israel that made make them backslide? What form of worship? Right. Baal worship. What is Baal in Hebrew? Baal. Okay? It means husband or master. But it also was the ancient Canaanite storm god that they prayed to to bring rain. So you have an agricultural society on the edge of the desert, okay, that needs rains. And Baal worship was very tantalizing because they supposedly brought the rains, but they did not have all the stipulations and legal requirements of the law of Moses. So Baal worship caused Israel to backslide because they could pray to a deity that would bring the rain, crops will grow, prosperity ensues, but they didn't have to do all the legal requirements of the law of Moses. So what is Baal worship today? It's the preaching of prosperity and self-improvement without the message of the cross. So I told these guys today, I said, the way you take out Jezebel is you, you talk to your pastor or talk to your leaders or whatever and have them start talking about death to self, the cross. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Yes. You start yes. talking about the stipulations. Yes. And don't preach all this self-improvement, you know. Baal worship today is asking God for the rains. Let it rain, let it pour. Wonderful song. But where's the cross in all this? God bless me, bless me, bless me. But I don't want to die daily. I already died once. I died with Christ. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. People say, Scott, you're being a troublemaker right now. No, I'm not. I'm in the spirit of Elijah, so to speak. Hallelujah. The one who called me a troublemaker is that Ahab system. So the way you take out Jezebel, because she's still alive and active, according to the book of Revelation, Okay, is by exposing her strength. And her strength of seduction is a message of revival without repentance. A message of prosperity without the cross. A message of rain without the stipulations of the law of Moses. Isn't this powerful? It's awesome. And so that's why a lying spirit was sent into the mouth of Ahab's prophets. Okay, to lead him into battle, be killed. And later Jezebel is thrown out the window, the dogs ate her up, okay? Let's go back to Jotham, okay? Judges 9, he's one of the sons of uh, Gideon. Avimelech wants to be king. What's Avimelech in Hebrew mean? God, my, my father is king. And so he gets up. You ever heard this judge give this parable? You know, the people wanted, you know, the fig tree to rule over him. They wanted the vines. You can read it later. 
one of the vines, you know, to rule over him. One of, you know, the grapes to rule over him. And all these trees, fruitful trees, said no. And finally, the adot tree, say adot. English, I think it's called bramble. Says, I'll rule over you. And then the warning from Jotham, the judge, said, if you allow Avimelech to rule over you, fire will come out if you rebel against him to consume you. And everybody's like, whoo. And we read that and say, man, what does that mean? I guess I could read the chapter 10 now. I don't understand that at all. you got to go to Israel. Let me be a liaison for you, okay? At that time, Israel's an agricultural society, okay? It's very important to grow grapes and figs and all these things to live, right? But an adot tree, you never plant an adot tree near any fruitful tree. The reason why, even though the adot tree grows real big and grows fruit, I mean, the fruit is unedible. It's very small. Even though it provides shade, okay, the problem is the adot tree sends out its roots and will kill every other tree around it. And so what Tom is saying is that if you set up a king over you, even though he'll provide shade over your life, his root system will make you totally unfruitful. And if you rebel against him, fire will come out against you. So here's Christians that have been in a monarchy church pattern, okay? Maybe all their life, they start to wake up saying, why don't I ever really produce fruit? Why can't I break the cigarette habit? Why can't I, why do I always have this problem of pornography? Why don't I, you know, get blessed at my work? Why is this all these things happen? Da, 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 da. Okay? Or why can't I be more of a soul winner? Why don't things open up? Whatever. What's happened is the kingship root system has come out, even though it's provided you a covering, that covering is actually a garbage lid. Who's your covering? You know what I say to people? Jesus. They get mad. They blow head gases. And I, I try to say, show me in the Bible where anybody's supposed to be my covering. The only time, the two words, the time word covering is used in the Bible is the Yom Kippur covering. Listen carefully, folks. The blood covering us. And second, the husband covering up for his wife. Nowhere did it say any man, any apostle, anybody is supposed to be your covering. Jesus is your covering. And that's why so many marriages have problems because the shepherd gets in between the husband and wife. Now, if you want to use the word submit, that's a totally different word. Hallelujah. Submit to one another in fear of Christ. Submit to your elders. Come on. Are you with me? Come on. But there's one covering, it's Jesus. You've got to be careful some of these terms, okay? Because words have power. And so, if you want Avi Melech to be your covering, it may give you some covering and, you know, momentary shade, but his root system will come out and strangle you spiritually. And if you rebel against this system, those monarchs will come after you. How many Christians have I met? Man, I just, you know, this pastor told me if I leave his church, you know, that I, you know, this, will, this will happen to me and this will happen to me. And what I say, it's witchcraft and control. I know, I used to be one. I got delivered, hallelujah. Do we, you, want, you guys want to go deeper? Yes. So what is the purpose of these fivefold, or should we say these ministry gifts given by Jesus to the church, which are on the charactership as judges, military conquerors, men and women? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
What is our job to do? Verse 13, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of service. The word service is a military word for army. Come on, write this down. The, the women that served in the tabernacle, the same Hebrew word for army. If you're here and you, all you do is do housework here, come on, or you work on the soundboard, you're considered in the army of God yeah. in the book of Deuteronomy. Okay? The word equipping is the word in the ancient Greek mariner terminology of equipping a fully fitted lifeboat, like a Coast Guard cutter going out to rescue somebody about to sink. Also, the word equipping here is the word used, it's a technical word of breaking the bone and resetting it. Wow. So the job of these ministry warrior gifts is to break you and reset you. Okay? You can get these things out of the linguistic key to the Greek New Testament by Zondervan Press. Linguistic key to the Greek New Testament. We advertise it so much, Zondervan put it back into print. So many people are requesting it. It's a great book written by a, a German theologian. And it's called The Linguistic Key to the Greek New Testament by Zondervan Press. Okay? Heinz Rineker was the editor. Now, let's go on even deeper. Are you ready? Yeah. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. There will not be unity among Christians as long as there's monarchs in control of God's sheep. It goes on and says here, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. Let me tell you what happens. The sheep love God. The sheep come into a protected environment of a local church or whatever. If that monarch is trying to build a building, okay, trying to build a kingdom, he's run by the money, not the Holy Ghost. Come on, folks. Because he's run by money, they will come up with creative ideas to raise money. Wow. Appeal letters. We're going under if you don't give. We'll go under and then we'll give. <laughs> Maybe you need to go under. Maybe you need to give to my ministry and then you won't go under. Why do I always have to give to you? <laughs> You're teaching us to give all the time. Why don't you give? <laughs> And then suddenly you find out that that pastor is suddenly driving a Rolls Royce or wearing $20,000 suits from Italy from special wool from sheep that only live in the Andes Mountains. Oh yeah, there's suits like that. And you're saying, wait a minute here. Why do I think I'm being fleeced? I'm being milked. And they, listen, I know it because I've done it before, okay? I've repented many years ago, okay? Don't worry about it. I'm kosher now. But we could, we could create 
bigger givings if we had an emergency than if we just ask people to pray and trust God. And when Jesus appeared to Kenneth Hagin when I went to school, it's very powerful. Kenneth Hagin said to him, be very careful about money. Because many of my choice servants have become money-minded and have lost the anointing. We have to be very, very careful about money. It's the root of all evil. And so you can sit down in your board meeting and have a five-year planner, believe it or not, Listen, and we'll say, you know, we have families coming to our church, and they're really good tithers. How can we keep them in our church? We know out. We'll start an elementary school. We'll start a daycare. We'll start a Christian school and require those parents that go to the Christian school have to tithe to the church also. And so what happens is, folks, listen, I said, I went to seminary. They taught us these things. Don't look at me like I'm talking out of my, I just fell out of a tree or something, okay? They teach us how to grow a church without the Holy Ghost. Get people busy from the cradle to the grave. And then the scary part comes in where that leader says, well, God said we need to raise, God says we need to buy this building. Or we need to do this. We need to do that. And what happens is it creates winds of doctrine, okay? And the sheep are tossed. And the job of the fivefold ministry gifts, the judges, is to expose these winds of doctrine. Hebrews 5 as we start to try to wind up. I'll preach until you... Okay, let's go for it. Hallelujah. Now, if I lived in this area, I'd go to this church. Seriously. If I lived within 30, 40, 50, 60 miles, I'd go to this church. You know why? Because I know the pastors. I know the shepherds. I have drunken with you. I know you. I like the freedom of the spirit. I like when John says, if there's anything wrong in my life, speaking in my life, and I say vice versa also. Okay? And uh, do shofar drive-bys, and we agree on more than we disagree, and big deal. So why do I need to find somewhere that has a rock climbing wall for the children? Why do I need to find someone that has some special things going on for kids all the time? Why can't we just... Why can't we just... Hebrews 5. Let's talk about discernment now. The main purpose of the fivefold ministry gifts or the judges is to keep you from being deceived by the enemy. To sharpen your discernment. Not just to give you a nice message to feel good about. 
and ministers that do not name false doctrines going on, okay, and hirelings to protect you is not worth their salt. Come on, folks. And Ephesians chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 5 says in verse 11, concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. I do not want you to become the dullest knife in the cabinet, okay? I want you guys to get sharpened tonight. Sharpening your discernment. But though this time you ought to be teachers, you need again someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come need of milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He is a babe. You will stay a babe the more you live in sin. Okay? Pastor John cried his heart out, okay, tonight and talked about what he got delivered from. And you guys, it's for every one of you that tithe here and you call this your home. If your shepherd got delivered of that, it's because you probably need to get delivered too. And you need to fall in line and follow that, okay? And don't say, I'll think about it and pray about it. Or God will come and slap the French vanilla out of you, okay? <laughs> well, I'll speak when God speaks to me. He's speaking to you through his representative. Well, I, I give my tithes to, to God. Okay, tell me where his address is so I can send a check too, okay? I mean. <laughs> and so it says, <laughs> verse 14, but solid food is for the mature because the practice have their senses trained to discern between good and evil. Let's talk about discernment now. This is very, this is what God wants me to talk about tonight. Right now. Right now. Yeah. Everything was buffalo wings and appetizers, okay? Caesar salad. Let's go into the filet mignon. Alberta beef. Hallelujah. I don't care if it's got mad cow in it. Come on. Hallelujah. The way you become not dull of hearing in this hour is to be able to discern between good and evil. And when somebody says, let's go see that movie, and that movie has something that you would not show during worship tonight, then you have no business watching that. If you have a hard time discerning Good from evil, you're dull of hearing. And the biggest people I have met that are dull of hearing are some of these prophets right now. They got so many tattoos and earrings and body piercings, and they watch such garbage on TV. And all they talk about is mystical things and angels and this and that. Where's the holiness and repentance? You want to please God tonight? Let's conclude 
and how we cannot be dull of hearing, how we can discern between good and evil. Yeah. Go with me to 1 Kings 3 and the prayer of Solomon. I would not be preaching this if I did not believe it's 911 right now. I would not be saying these things unless I am under authority from heaven to warn. And I want to sharpen your discernment. Amen? I want you to learn, if you're fasting and living this type of lifestyle, okay, and you pick up something wrong, a check in your spirit, you need to run that check through. Okay? Just like a police officer going down the road with his laptop and he sees some car go by and says, let me run, let me check out that license plate. Come on. They have sometimes an inward intuition. They have an anointing they operate in. Romans 13 says. Come on. They get a hunch. They call these detectives, call it a hunch. I know what it is. It's a spirit of righteousness is what it is. Hallelujah. And so Solomon asked in verse 9 of chapter 3, So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people to do what? Discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? So this is incredible. The word here for understanding heart in actual Hebrew, you've heard me preach about this many times, many years, many months ago, is say this, Lev Shomea. He didn't ask for wisdom. He didn't ask for, you know, more brain tissue or IQ level or information. Solomon asked for Lev Shomea, which means a hearing heart. Isn't that powerful? Solomon asked for an open satellite dish of his heart to hear from heaven, not how much God loves him, and you know, and all the things God has, and no, 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 that's secondary. He asked to be ability to discern. Every young man here, every woman here, you need to learn how to discern. Come on, some of us older folks have gray hair because we've been through things, okay? And we have some wisdom, practical wisdom, but we can't give you the wisdom of God. Only God can. We can help you along experiential wisdom, okay? Trying to learn some things because we got gray hair. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not the wisdom I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the wisdom that comes to these wisdom books, okay? I'm talking about Jesus, the wisdom of God. And Solomon asked for a hearing heart. Hallelujah. For what? To discern between good and evil. When was the last time you asked for that prayer? Come on, let's be honest about it. Because we haven't put discernment on the front burner. We, we prayed, oh God, you know, should I buy this dress? Oh God, should I buy this car? Oh God, where should I go for vacation? Oh God, should I do this and that? But the main purpose of wisdom or a hearing heart is to discern. And I am concerned because I have seen very little discernment lately among leaders. Among Christians, yeah. how can people sit there and go to the movie Passion and not under and understand that this came through the channel of Mel Gibson, who is a weird Roman Catholic, 
who has now been exposed as an alcoholic, okay, all these years, and an anti-Semite. How can you actually go and say, God touched me? How can you sit there and see that woman personified as evil being Satan? How can you sit there and let your spirit feed on that in a place of being naive? Open up and just let whatever comes in off the TV set. How can you sit there and be a Christian and watch hockey and enjoy the fights? How can you be a Christian and hear about what happened at Virginia Tech, okay? And want to study all about this guy and get into the dark side of who he was. How can you be a Christian and go to a movie because it's a good love story, but it's full of sexual adultery? Forget about movies, just primetime ABC. How can we not... Oh, why do we turn off our discernment so much? We need to put our discernment back on the front burner in this hour. We need to discern relationships that we're in. Business partners. Come on. We need to discern who we're cutting covenant with. We need to discern who we're going to battle with. We need to discern. Come on. Hallelujah. Know those who labor among you. Because the Bible says in the last days many will fall away. And the way you get discernment is by asking the Lord, I want to judge your people. Come on. Discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this people. Ooh, do not judge. That's such a bad word today. We need judges. We need military conquerors. Hallelujah. We need people in the judicial system of Canada that can say abortion is murder. And where's that going to begin? With them? No, in the church. We need leaders to rise up and say, you know what? I know the Lord of the Rings is, was written by a Christian, but the Hollywood people who made Lord of the Rings were demon-possessed, okay? And why should my spirit be open up to see occult and witchcraft and magic in its fight against good? Why? Discernment. Scott, things aren't black and white. Yes, it is. Get behind me, Satan. Wine, alcohol, devil water. Come on. I'm trying. <laughs> we need people to roll. Well, if you say something like that, people get all bent out of shape. Let them get bent out of shape. Let's break him and reset the bone. Hallelujah. Well, you can't grow a church like that. Yes, we can. We can grow a Holy Ghost center of wild desert shepherd warriors, maybe not a denominational system. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Come on. Discernment. Come on, folks. 
God wants you to get discernment. Come on. Receive this anointing tonight. Come on. The discernment. That's what God wants to release. This whole thing tonight. You say, well, I thought discernment is discerning, you know, devils and all that. That's not just that. It's the system. It's where we have sinned. It's where David's tabernacle fell. It's a monarchy system. It's all this stuff. I want to walk with God. It's so discerning that if I walk on a college campus, I can point somebody out. That person there is a night stalker on women. Have him arrested right now. Why should the police department go to the psychics? Why can't we go to the police department and say, listen, we have discernment from heaven. Let us play over these unsolved crimes, these folders, okay? And let's find out and bring closure for the family to find out where their daughter has been missing for 15 years is. Come on, folks. But why don't we operate in it? Because we don't hate evil. That's changing. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's changing. Come on. Hallelujah. That's changing. Hallelujah. Go with me to Second Timothy. As I get some more emails here. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 talking about the snare of the devil. You know a snare is something that's hidden, right? Under some leaves, you know. The devil, we have to discern his traps. How about this, shepherds? Because everybody here is called the shepherd God's people in one way or another. How about discerning wolves in sheep's clothing? How about what Jude says? Clouds without water. The hidden reefs in our love feast. Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 26. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, being held captive to do his will. You only do two wills, either God's will or the devil's will. You don't do your will. Either God's will or the devil's will. So how do you get out of this snare? There's three Greek words used here for the snare of the devil. You ready? Number one, the devil comes to numb the conscience. You should write this down. We're, we're talking about discernment tonight. No, you know what? I want you to be sons and daughters of Issachar. I want you to be the sons of Issachar that discern the seasons and the time. And I tell you what, this place will be packed out with hungry sheep. Because they know there's discernment in the house. Especially in the days ahead. Amen? You need discernment where you're supposed to be do with your retirement funds. Come on. These yahoos saying, no, invest in Google and Microsoft. And God's saying, no, invest in something else. God knows the beginning from the end. Amen. We need discernment. You know, all the pictures, I went to get a family picture, and the guy told me that every picture you see now in the magazines or newspaper or whatever is all usually photoshopped. He said, don't believe any picture you see in National Geographic. It's all photoshopped now. Manipulated. Bless you. The whole TV industry manipulates the advertisement, everything. I want discernment. Yes. Okay, number one, to numb the conscience. How do you numb the conscience? When you know what is right, and the Holy Ghost is warning you, and you still do it. 
you have just unsharpened yourself. You numb yourself. I went to the dentist on Thursday morning before I came here. Okay, they had to do a bunch of work on the bottom of my teeth and put some new feelings in it and fallen out. Guess what? They numbed me up pretty good. I was all blah, 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 drooling all over myself. Drinking water. I couldn't even feel the water going down until you hit the back of my throat. How you doing, Mr. Holmes? Pretty weird feeling. I'm glad I got my feeling back. Amen? He wants to numb the conscience. What did Paul says when he stood before Agrippa and these other guys? He said one thing each time, the same thing. I've lived before God and man with a clean conscience. That's why drugs, alcohol, wine, movies, entertainment, stimulus to numb the conscience. It says in the last days there will be doctrines of demons. Men who will their, even their conscience will be seared with a branding iron. You know if you drink hot coffee long enough, it will just sear. You won't have any nerve endings left. Just scar tissue. You can't, you're not sensitive to hot or cold. The devil wants to numb our conscience. Come on folks, I've been talking about this for a long time tonight. Like, you know, People lying about their immigration to live in Canada. Maybe God doesn't want you to live here. Maybe he wants you to go back to your country. Lying, you know, the biggest amount of lying I think hits America is when last week during IRS was due. Internal Revenue Service tax returns. That one box there. Have you received any other sources of income? Tips, wages, gifts, inheritances? Most people, no. Why? Because there's no fear. They know they can get away with it. Because everybody else is doing it. Your conscience is numb. You're no longer able to do anything for God. You're under the snare of the devil. You're doing his will because he's the father of all lies. You're going down the road. Come on. And it says, come on. It says 100 kilometers an hour and 400. And you see another sign that says 400. You say, Noah, I can do 400 kilometers an hour. Why even buy a motorcycle like that? Why have a car with 500 horsepower? Leave it at the track. Don't say, oh, God gave me this car. You liar. Pants on fire. You bought it because you wanted it, and you're justifying it. And the more you justify that stuff, you become a dull knife, and God can't use any dull knives. You become numbed. Okay, the next thing, after numbing the conscience, he confuses the senses. When your conscience is numbed long enough, you can sit there and watch The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and not be convicted anymore. But you think it's just humor. And look at all the innuendos. Come on, all the sexual things that are said. All the anti-God things. And your conscience has become numbed, okay? And now your senses are confused and you don't even know what's right or wrong. And who is that crazy as you telling me I can't watch The, to- the Tonight Show? Come on, there's nothing really wrong with that. No discernment. You're losing altitude. Numb the conscience. Confuse the senses. And what's the next thing in this Greek word? 
paralyze the will. And when you are paralyzed, guess what? You cannot get out of that wheelchair yourself. The demons are pushing you around. I don't like demons pushing me around. I know it, man. We're, we're hitting the grand slams tonight. Hallelujah. Come on. Discernment. <laughs> every, every, when I say discernment, everybody thinks right away prophetically. Oh, you're like gifts of the Spirit. Oh, I discern that. You know, I see. And I say, capital L, loser. You don't see nothing. You just have the ability to look and say, oh, Scott is. And you fill in the blank. I see people all the time do it. See that person there? Yeah, that person, da, 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 and that person, da, 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 and then, da, 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 yeah. I was like, well, that's not prophetic. It's almost psychic. Yeah. Discernment! Discern between good and evil. Dull of hearing. Solomon asked for a hearing heart to judge. You know why things were so messed up? What does David have left over? Oh, Lord have mercy. David left behind a real good legacy for his son Shlomo. Okay, Solomon. And Solomon, guess who Solomon's mother was? Bathsheba. And guess what happened to Solomon? His mother even said to him, Listen, honey. Hey, sweetie pie. Bubik, come here. Don't give your heart to a bunch of women. They'll lead you astray. Read it, Proverbs 31. Guess who wrote Proverbs 31? Solomon did about his mother. She's the virtuous woman, Bathsheba. Amazing, isn't it? And Solomon didn't listen to his mama. And he married all these foreign wives and he lost all of his discernment. And that's why Jesus came and said, a greater than Solomon is here. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yo! Yo! Why? Because Jesus discerned. What did he discern? He hated evil. Love righteousness. Gave us an example. And says, it's good that I go because I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your guide, your advocate. Come on, your strengthener, your standby. He will lead you into all truth. Do not grieve him because whoever grieves him is guilty of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'll never do it again. And that's what I want as my prayer to him. I want to ruthlessly obey every inclination, every quickening, every discernment, every flashback. Hallelujah. <laughs> Everything you say in dreams or vision or angel or the still small voice or confirmation or your word or your rhema. Hallelujah. Or getting knocked over the head. Come on anything Lord I want to obey you ruthlessly because I want to be an instrument of you and not of Satan I want to be a discerner of the times and the seasons we're in I want to discern between good and evil I want to know and help other believers say that is wrong because I discern this hallelujah and we can pull people out of the snare of the devil and 
and we can break the back of Satan. Hallelujah. And we can see the kingdom of God raised up. And we can see those people that are under the winds of doctrine of men. Hallelujah. Be set free and not be like children tossed to and fro. And they can be equipped to be rescue boats and rise up like Deborah and Gideon and Barak and Samson and become mighty warriors. Hallelujah. Because they discerned uh, what the Spirit was saying in this hour of his power. Some people I don't see, I don't know here. I mean, some people I know that goes to church here, so I'm not talking about you, okay? But those that are here or those listening to tape, you go to another church, you need to discern what's going on. Okay? Nothing wrong with having discernment. Nothing wrong with doing an audit. Okay? Sometimes audits are great. Some people didn't hear it because you weren't here last night or last, the night before or whenever I was said it. But I had three IRS agents show up at my front door. Three IRS agents. Not send me a letter, show up at my front door. And they did not look happy. And they challenged me and put our ministry or us under an audit. And my accountant flipped out and um, told them, don't give them anything they don't ask for. And I said, you crazy? I want to give them everything, including the vaccination papers for my pet Labrador. I mean, come on. (laughs) I got this big, huge file, and I sent it to them. And he, four months later, he got a letter back. We're sorry, Reverend Holtz, for causing you problems. And blah, 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 blah. But after an audit of you, we found that actually we made a mistake. We owe you $4,063. And they sent me a U.S. Treasury check for $4,063. I like audits. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, come on. Let's ask this. Lord, give me a hearing heart to discern between good and evil, to judge thy people. For who can judge this great people of thine? Give me discernment tonight about the music I listen to, about the people I hang out with, about the TV. The DVDs, DVDs, the websites, the the places I visit. visit. Teach me, Lord, Lord, to discern between good and evil. evil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
want to thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says, if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray. Amen. Shalom, friends. This is Scott Holtz with Rivers in the Desert. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www. Dot flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom. <laughs>